This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 9 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are going to take a look at the other Star Trek Beyond writer, Doug Young. You know, yeah. it's it's one of those things where obviously, you know, people hear like Simon Pegg is writing the new Star Trek movie and that's what they focus on. Even though, even if they say like, oh, Simon Pegg and Doug Young are writing the new Star Trek movie, what people take away from that is Simon Pegg is writing the new Star Trek movie. You yes. Know? Yeah. I mean, the fact that he's the public figure, obviously, you know, is a big thing. The fact that he is associated with star trek is another big thing and the fact that he's sort of like an admitted fanboy is another thing whereas you say doug young is writing star trek and everyone's like who yeah and and you know i mean you I, you no one can blame people for doing that because i did the same exact thing you know yep. i mean who's doug young i mean that's the big question right and yes. <laughs> Yes, it is. We're going to try to answer that question today. Uh, Doug Young is primarily a television writer. That's sort of his bread and butter. He's worked on a number of shows, most notably uh, Big Love, which I've seen some of, although I haven't seen any of his episodes. I I don't know whether I saw any of his episodes. I'm sure that I did because I watched the whole first season of that. It was a well-written show. Yeah, I think he didn't come in until season two. Well, then um, I didn't see any of them because I, <laughs> life got busy and I missed the second season. So that, that's kind of how it worked with me. You know, I mean, it was really cool. You know, and I mean, hey, Bill Paxton on a weekly basis. I mean, really, you can't you can't ever have that? too much Paxton. No, that's just a fact of life. Yes, yes. And then you throw Harry Dean Stanton into the mix, and it's like, <laughs> uh, okay, you know, yeah, yeah let's do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, he came in and, and started writing some season two episodes. Uh, he also uh, wrote for a show called Banshee, which I don't know if it's still on or not, but it was uh, a show of note. Um, I haven't seen it myself. Yes, it was not a show of my note. <laughs> I can tell you that. But I hear good things. I hear good things about it. Um, and most notably, he is the co-creator of Dark Blue, which is a show starring Dylan McDermott. Uh, which I think was on TNT. Yeah, that sounds right. About, I want to say, probably an undercover cop, I think. Yeah. Um, I've heard good things about this. This is a show that I've wanted to watch. I just haven't had a chance to. But that that's his, his biggest contribution, I would say, because he was there, I think, the whole time, and, and he was the co-creator along with Danny Cannon, um, the, the director who... Uh, amongst other things, is kind of responsible for the look and feel of Gotham. Uh, and he also directed the original Judge Dredd movie. So, Well, yeah. We won't <laughs> dwell on that because we're talking about Doug Young. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, so TV. TV is where you probably would be most familiar with his work. But he has written one movie, and that movie is Confidence. Yeah. Now, 
Now, this is a movie which he, it was actually the first thing that he wrote as far as film and television is concerned that that got uh, produced, uh, as far as I know. And it was a spec script that he had written and kind of showed to some agents and, and stuff like that. And it eventually got into the hands of the right people and they gave it to some other people's hands. And. Yep. It ended up as a feature film directed by James Foley, who is a director of note. He is the guy yeah. who directed Glengarry Glen Ross. One of the best movies I've ever seen in my life is Glengarry Glen Ross, and it is one I can keep going back to. And so seeing James Foley's name on this, I guarantee you, is what made me and my brother rent it back when we could first lay our hands on confidence. It was like, directed by Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, this must be fantastic. Yeah, I've seen a lot of movies by James Foley because they were because he directed Glengarry Glen Ross, you know, uh The Corrupter. That was one. It's not a Yeah, good he did, uh didn't he do the it was one of the Grisham ones, The Chamber oh, with Chris O'Donnell? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I haven't seen that one. Was it wait, was it Chris O'Donnell or not because there was one the rainmaker that wasn't Foley. No, that was that, Francis Ford Coppola. Yes, and oh, and that was um, uh, uh, Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Matt Damon. Yes, like his first his first movie, essentially. At least the first time I had seen him in anything. Uh, I think that was his. I think that was his first. He might have filmed it before. No, I think it was his first post Goodwill Hunting movie. But no, it came out before Goodwill Hunting. Really? Yeah, I think it was like really? the same year. Yeah, but oh, yeah, no kidding. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's surprising. Yeah, he okay. he did Fear, um, perfect, which is a which is a terrible movie. I did watch that movie. Uh, I rented it way back when, and I swear to you that Fear is a movie where it's like the the idea that that Mark Wahlberg could have been in that and Boogie Nights can melt my mind, absolutely melt my mind. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen Fear. I have to say, it's um, not good. He 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 directed uh, the chamber. You're right about that one. He did Perfect Stranger, which is a horrible movie. He and did he, a Madonna movie too. Uh, yeah, and and some videos yeah. for her as well. He he directed episodes of Twin Peaks. He directed uh, yes. mo most recently episodes of Wayward Pines. Um, he directed uh, episodes of House of Cards. Hannibal. He's done a lot of yeah. stuff. And I feel kind of bad for him because now he's just signed on to direct the next two. Yes, he's doing whatever the 50 part 50, two and 50 part three or whatever it is. 50 Shades Darker and 50 Shades Freed. Well, I'm, you know what? As much as I've been committed to the bit of I'll watch it because the guy who did Glengarry Glenn Ross directed it. I draw lines, and that is over the line. I'm still committed, because when Fifty Shades of Grey came on HBO the other day, I was like, I'm going to need to watch this so that I can see the other two, right? No. I, I watched no. it. I watched no. it. No. It, it was... Um, <laughs> I'm not... Is it, is it the worst thing I've ever seen? No. But, I mean, technically, I don't think you can call it a movie, because it doesn't <laughs> have a third act. It's very okay. strange. It's okay. very strange. But uh, okay, so it's it's like a sex thriller type movie, right? Or something like sort that. Sort of, sort of. Okay. Like more, is more it, of a romance, I would say. 
is it as bad as um what was that one uh that that Bruce Willis did with Sarah Jessica Parker striking was that striking distance I don't know I didn't see that one no that one was because yeah he played like a boat cop or something like that it was awful <laughs> okay because that, that, that that's like sort of see. bottom of the scale for me of the ones that I've seen yeah yeah no this 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 it does it doesn't really work I have to say it's disappointing but at the very least he had the pleasure of directing Doug Young's uh, big screen script confidence he did confidence which uh was a movie that came out in 2003 it starred edward burns dustin hoffman lots of really big people or people who would go on to become really big like paul giamatti who at the time i don't think really was a, a big name well no he but he was at least known as a character actor by that point because i know that private parts had come out before then Okay. So people yeah. knew who Paul Giamatti was and he but he was still at that level of like now people say Paul Giamatti and just about everybody knows who you're talking about. He was still at that level of looking to truly monopolize on name recognition. Yeah. yeah. Did you know I, I I for years I didn't know this, but Paul Giamatti is the son of A Bartlett Giamatti, the uh the former commissioner of Major League Baseball. I had no idea about yeah. that. I really didn't. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> wow. Who knew? Yeah. yeah. I mean, A. Bartlett Giamatti had passed away long before Paul Giamatti had na- made a name for himself. So, you know, there isn't that sort of, you know, uh, continuance or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, not like it's uh, Rooney Mara or something like that. Right, right. So, yeah, there are lots of people. Rachel Weiss are, is in it as well, and Louis Guzman, and Andy Garcia yes. shows up. And and, Don- and, and one of my, my favorite uh, character actors of all time, uh, Donal Logue, is in it. Yes, he is. He is. And, yeah, and I light up whenever I see him on screen, because he's just always great. Have you been watching Gotham with him in it? I have not had a chance to keep up with Gotham, but he was my favorite part of it. Like, yeah. I, it, it, I'm dead serious. Whenever he walks on screen... If I find out he's in something, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stick with this at least for a little while. Isn't he in Vampires? No, he is in Blade, the first Blade. Oh, okay. And he is absolutely transcendently wonderful in that movie. He's yeah. like, he get, he should have been the main bad guy in Blade. Yeah. Not uh, Steve, Stephen Dorff, right? S- yeah, Stephen yeah. Dorff. Yeah. Should have been Donal Logue. Oh, well. What can yeah. you do? Um, but yes, uh would you would you want to give a sort of a synopsis of this thing? Yeah, confidence is I would call it a a sort of paint by numbers uh, heist movie. Um, I, and I know it's about uh, people playing the long con and stuff like that, but it, it's it is really sort of, you know what you're going to get when you sit down to confidence. It's going to be a movie where they're going to have sequences where they show you what's going on, and it's about a guy who is pulling a big score against uh, like the most feared uh, sort of uh, mob guy in the L.A. area, uh, played by Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, paint by numbers, I think, is sort of like key to this. You know, it's, it, it, it's very much like if, if you were to compare it to something, you know, Ocean's Eleven, I think, would be a good yep. comparison. I com- you know. I completely agree because it, it does the whole thing of showing what they're going to do in montage as they're describing it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, at several points during the movie. Oh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to get the money and make the exchange at the customs guy. That's a bad idea. Okay. And they rewind the film is like, and I'll, and then they show him putting like the bribe under the bag or, and stuff like that. And they just keep showing different versions of it so that when you get to the end, you find out, oh, no, wait, here was this permutation of the plan. And this is why it worked. Right. And, you know, it's it's got the same sort of thing with assembling the team and everything like that. It does kind of wrap it in this, like, interesting structural package of, you know, it being told in flashback and sort of like flashbacks within flashbacks to some yeah. extent. There's, like, a narrator. It's, it's being narrated. You know, the first thing that you see is Edward Burns lying in the middle of an alley uh, shot to death. And he's narrating this story and saying, like, okay, I'm dead. How did I get here? You know, and then yeah. it it takes you back to him with a gun to to his head in that same alley, and he's telling the story to the person who's holding the gun on his head, Morris Chestnut, and so it's kind of like flashbacks inside flashbacks. It's it's a very intricate structure, um, which is interesting, and yeah. I mean. I, I guess I guess this would be you know sort of my my take on on the movie is as far as these heist movies are concerned and these sort of like you know con movies uh, what what you're saying is is true that you know you know what's going to happen it's predictable and everything but part of the the fun of it or in some cases all of the fun of it is trying to figure out exactly how it it's all put together how it's all oh. going to work. Yeah, you're you know that you know that they're trying to slip something by you. So you watch the movie thinking, okay, what is it in that they're trying to slip by me? Yeah. And w- while I'm not I'm not going to like praise the movie, uh, I think you're right to call out the intricacy of it because it is layered and you never get lost during the movie. And I know that part of that is a direction, but and you know part of that is editing, but part of that is also the the script that it starts from. Mm-hmm. It's obviously constructed in a solid enough fashion that it's like, well, this isn't going to be like an Oscar winning film. It's not going, it's going to be a pleasant distraction. Basically, this is going to be something where you're not going to regret watching it. Even though you might not be, you know, seeking out, you, you, you're not going to run into blockbuster and be like, I got to rent confidence. But if you rent it, you're gonna be like, yeah, that was good. I like that. Yeah. And that's pretty much the reaction that I remember having to it back then. And it's really interesting because like I saw it when it first came out and I keep on, you know, sort of mentioning it to people because of Doug Young mainly, you know, recently, which is now 12 years later and saying like he did that movie Confidence and people will say, oh, yeah, I saw that. What was that one about? And then I'll say, you know, I don't really remember. But like everyone's <laughs> sort of in agreement. It's like, yeah, that was a good movie. What was it about? You know, I mean, that's that's really yeah. kind of like how all of these conversations go, you know, myself included. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like I was I was talking about it with with Max the other day and he's like, I remember there being colors. And I'm like, yeah, yes. no, you're right. I totally remember the colors. Yeah. And he's like, I don't remember anything other than that. <laughs> I'm like, me either. But, but, but the thing right, is, that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting signature of Foley was like, mm-hmm. that's what jumps out at you is he did the same sort of thing with the way he lit a lot of scenes in Glengarry Glen Ross was yeah. there was a lot of like heavy saturation 
of a red or a green window like behind somebody all not comic booky but very saturated like it was it the colors were very you know there they very much defined the space as it yeah. were yeah I, I love I love the look of this movie for sure. You know, the I love that that sort of saturated color photography and everything. It's 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 very simple and yet uh effective and fun. You know, it, it kind of signals a certain type of fun. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think that this movie is fun, even though it's sort of like a darker Ocean's Eleven, to be sure. You know, Ocean's Eleven is sort of very lighthearted and, you know, airy or whatever. Whereas this, you know, has a bit of a, a hard edge to it. And yet it's, um, it never sort of like loses that sense of fun, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, um, you know, if there's anything I'm going to really heap praise on, uh, and of course part of this is performance, but again, part of this is the writing of the character. But the character of King, played by Dustin Hoffman, is a really well-made character. Like he's the sort of character that, you walk away from at the end of the movie and you're like, it was catchy what they did with him. You know, like they gave him enough sort of idiosyncratic ticks to make him memorable. Like he's the thing I remember most about the movie, seeing it back then. And then as I'm rewatching it, I'm like, oh yeah, now I know. Yeah, that's right. He's got the ADD and he's got those sort of weird personality quirks, but they're not, they're not as annoyingly over the top as uh, I'm trying to remember the director's name, but he did that one with David Caruso and Nicolas Cage where, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, was that um, Jade? No, Jade no. was the other one. Um, yeah. It had Sam Jackson in it, too, which was actually the reason I went to go see it. But basically he made in that movie, that director made Nicolas Cage so over the top in terms of his idiosyncrasies that you started to get bored with him by the end. Whereas, uh, and that, that was just the way cage was written. And of, of course also partially performance at the, at the very <laughs> least. But th- then you have this character that is really well put together. I mean, he just really is like, just, you can tell that there was something for Hoffman to have fun with and work with on the page that he wasn't straining himself to make this character interesting the character was just interesting as he was constructed. Yeah, I would agree. It, it was a, a, a well put together character, and and you know there were a lot of other characters in this movie which were distinct. And you know it, it's hard, especially when you're making these sort of heist movies with these teams, and it's like, well, how do you distinguish one from the other? And I think they did a good job with that. You know, giving them each their own personalities and unique quirks and everything. And uh, you know, it's. It's one of those things where while I, I do appreciate the characters and I do appreciate the, the structure on a technical level, I feel like once it's all put together, it doesn't really add up to much. You know, it's a fun thing to watch, but it's also the type of thing where, like, if you were to ask me now, like, what was going on in that movie thematically, I'm not really sure I'd be able to tell you. Oh, I don't think there was anything really thematically going on. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, it's it's a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not anything that you're gonna, you know, run around and and fall in love with. But it's you know you're not gonna regret seeing it. And I think you know the 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 fact that this came out right in between Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve, 
you know, where you've got someone, you know, filmmakers who are at the very tip top of their game doing basically the same. Oh, exact boy. Here thing. comes the Soderbergh speech, everybody. Here it comes. <laughs> Strap yourselves saying. in. We're going to Soderbergh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I want to live in Soderbergh. All right. Uh, no, but but I mean, like when when you've got that, when you've got that, you know, as sort of like the gold standard, and and this is sort of like the uh, the the big, um, the, uh, maybe 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 the golden age of these types of movies. Yeah. Something something like confidence is just not going to stack up i'm going to be bold enough to say that i liked it better than oceans 12 and i know you're going to consider that heresy but oceans 12 is there are just too many things are that are bad about that movie for me to like it oceans 12 is don't no so close to being a masterpiece it's not even funny no and it's one of those things where like i would say that oceans 11 is a better movie than oceans 12 but Ocean's 12's existence, the, the stuff that they did in that movie is so freaking insane that you just no. have to love it. No, you don't. Because it is He's lying to you, amazing everybody. that it exists. These, these are lies coming out of your mouth. Ocean's 11, I love. Ocean's 13, against my better judgment, I love. Ocean's 12 is just, that's a big egg sitting in the middle of that that pristine nest that he's built. Ocean's 11 is, I love Ocean's 13 is largely insignificant because it's basically the exact same thing as Ocean's 11. Yes. But revisiting stuff as as we have found out with a very popular movie that has uh, come out recently is not necessarily a bad thing. Just having a different take on sort of the same story beats can be fun and, and, and enjoyable. But that's all that Oceans 13 was. It was kind of fun. It was like a less good versions of, version of Oceans 11, whereas Oceans 12 was like, we're going to do something different. We're going to do something way outside of the box. And people, we're going to trick people into you know giving us $100 million to you make know, an art house movie. And then okay. we're going to trick people into going to see that art house movie. Okay. So you're saying that like it was sort of like a Banksy movie. Is what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm going to issue this challenge to the audience, our audience that's listening to this right now. I want you to go and I want you to rent Ocean's 12 and I want you to rent Confidence and I want you to watch both of them. I request politely for you to watch them. I'm not demanding anything. I'm just requesting politely. And I want you, when we when we post this, when this episode drops, I want you to let let us know who's right on this one. Is Ocean's 12 better or is Confidence better? Just a, a head-to-head matchup. Yeah, I want to hear that too. I want to hear that too. And then I want to have a follow-up discussion here where we talk about how yeah. everyone oh. is crazy. So yeah. <laughs> I will warn everybody that if I lose this bet, I will cry. I will cry. So if you want to make me cry, then go ahead and say Ocean's 12 is better. I did a, a whole thing for the Talk Film Society about o- Ocean's 12 where we were talking about how brilliant it is and how there's this this thing on the commentary for Schizopolis where Steven Soderbergh talks about how um, in that movie he, he breaks the fourth wall and how in his next movie he's going to break the fifth wall, which is slightly behind the fourth wall. 
and uh, that that movie which he's going to do that in is called Ocean's Twelve. And then you watch Ocean's Twelve, and you're like, "Wow, he actually did that. That's crazy." The fifth wall. He broke time itself. Yeah. He transcended self awareness. He is Skynet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I there mean, for those people who aren't familiar with Soderbergh, obviously he was joking on the Schizopolis commentary, but that doesn't mean that he didn't do it because he's Soderbergh. He's right. so crazy that he outcrazied himself. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> okay. But, but did any of the characters jump out to you? Like besides Hoffman, which I mean, I think is an easy one to sort of, you know, grab onto was there anybody that's sort of like a standout in this to you i mean you've got such great actors you know and i can only imagine for someone like young who this is his first freaking movie and he's got the guy who made you know it's like glenn gary glenn ross it's like okay well that script was written by david mamet you know from a pulitzer prize winning <laughs> play exactly yeah. and it's like now he's doing my movie and it's like i mean that's got to be just mind blowing and then oh, sure. the talent which is involved in this thing i mean everyone edward burns you know to rachel vice to paul giamatti louis guzman I mean, come on, you know, in addition to Dustin Hoffman and everything, I mean, that's just crazy. That must just be a dream come true. I mean, to see yeah. like this, this script, which you wrote for yourself, essentially, to be like now performed by like some of the greatest actors of our time. I mean, that's yeah. just amazing. I, but I'd be happy just with Andy Garcia. Yeah, yeah. You know? And he has kind of a throwaway role in this thing. You know, he's he does, barely but he makes, it. It, he makes it live. He brings that Andy Garcia-ness to it. Yeah. It's just so enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I really like the, the stuff with Edward Burns and Rachel Weisz. I think that they, they really, you know, have good chemistry and everything like that. I mean, Rachel Weisz is so good and everything. And, yeah, that's true. You know, I, I, I also, I mean, Paul Giamatti, anytime he's on screen, it's just captivating. Oh, well, so. when they're when they're at the lunch and he starts, you know, going off, it's a very well-written bit. But when he starts going off about, uh, you know, he's asking about the quality of the bathroom mm -hmm. and the guy's like, well, what, what's your problem? And he's like, are you kidding? In a big city like this, health inspections, the bathroom is at the bottom of the list. And like she's trying to eat her soup and Giamatti yeah. just keeps going on about how filthy bathrooms are and they have to be clean and everything like that. That's a fun scene to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it is for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in this movie. You know, it's it's definitely not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it doesn't have that extra added something that you need to make it great. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, one of the things that worked against it, uh, for me at least, is I'm not a prude by any stretch. I'm a Quentin Tarantino fan. You can't be a prude and be a Tarantino fan. But there's a way to use foul language... There, there is an art to it, especially in film. And this dialogue definitely had too much of a reliance on the F-bomb. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was too prevalent. It was like, I get it. You know, I'm not looking for clean language in the movie, but it's almost like it was used as a cheat for emotional uh, emphasis. You know, like they couldn't find a way to, to punch it up to give the character more oomph in their actual line so he drops in you know he sprinkles an f-bomb in some of the lines and it's like that doesn't 
add any weight to the scene. It's just you making them say F more often. Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, I I know the type of thing that you're talking about, and that's certainly, you know, something which I think can be overdone at times. I mean, the, the example that I always give, which was really sort of a turnoff to me when I first saw it, was uh, um, The Wire, the early episodes of The Wire. I felt they were, like, using profanity just oh. for the sake of saying, like, I'm using profanity. And I quickly got over that because it's The Wire, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, but but the thing is, I think the turning point for The Wire is in the first season when they're going and they're investigating a crime scene and all they use is the F word. Uh-huh. Like, while they're, like, measuring out the bullet holes and stuff like that, and it's just variations on the F word, that's a masterful scene. That is a beautifully constructed and well-written use of the F word right there. Whereas this just felt like it was just used as a cheat. I mean, to me, it didn't, it didn't bother me, you know, because it felt appropriate to these characters. You know, I mean, I I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I just use the F word too much in my daily (laughs) vocabulary or something. I mean, you know, whatever. So it, I just, I, like, I never even like the, the one thing which kind of stood out to me was like, when I was watching it, I was kind of thinking like, just thinking back to when I had seen it, I was like, is this PG 13 or is this rated R? I forget. And then when I was watching it, you know, the, the profanity, it was, you know, so frequent that I thought like, wow, yeah, they, this is definitely not a PG-13 movie. You know, that's cool that they, you know, did not feel the need to, uh, you know, censor themselves or whatever. And, you know, especially for a low-budget thing like this, you know, because they could have easily made it PG-13 if they wanted to, if they had just rewritten a lot of the dialogue and stuff. Um, Because there's not, like, excessive violence or, you know, sex or anything like that in there. No, yeah, it is restrained in those regards. Which would be actually kind of in keeping. It'll be interesting. Uh, Maybe I would be interested in seeing the the Fifty Shades sequels then, because those are all centered on sex, and that's kind of with Foley as he's always been. And of course, you know, it's a function of the the screenplay as well. But like, he directs things very well in that he, you know, he he he's restrained in that regard. You know, of the works that I've seen him do. Man, I, I, if if he takes the sex out of the Fifty Shades sequels, I can only imagine the riots in the streets. Now that <laughs> would be breaking the fifth wall. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. Um, so, yeah. So, so that's that's confidence. I mean, um, and, and any, any final thoughts on confidence? Yeah. You know, if you see it playing or they make it, uh, you know, no extra charge to watch on Prime. Yeah, you know, it's not a bad hour and a half. Yeah. I, I guess to me the thing that, that I kind of took away from it is like, for whatever reason, it really just took me back to that time and place when it when it came out. You know, I was I was working as a projectionist and everything. I remember vividly screening this movie you know i watched it i watched it with max when it first came out and he apparently took note of the colors and you know it, it, it there there were so many um movies like this at the time that watching this movie just really took me back to that time and you know i i kind of like like that time in my life a lot because it was you know i was in college and i was just kind of like i, it, I like i had literally moved out of my parents' house like a month 
after or a month I'm sorry a month before this movie came out you know so it was very sort of like you know hey I'm on top of the world sort of thing and then and then just to top it all off you know as if this wasn't enough of a trip down memory lane you know in sort of a, a subliminal sense then the the end credits have a Coldplay song on there and I'm like yeah. okay Okay, well, yeah, not not uh, that I'm a fan of Coldplay or anything like that, but I've 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 come to appreciate them more now than I did in 2003. I can tell you that. But well, uh, yeah, hey, he broke himself <laughs> free from the goop tangle, so that's cool. Good for him. He broke Paltrow's evil hold on his brain. Oh, is that is that what? Uh, yeah, isn't the lead dating? singer Cold? No, no, isn't that the the lead singer of uh, Coldplay? He used to be yes, yeah, Chris Martin, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, he, he was, was married he was to Gwyneth Paltrow, and then like he became sane and and left. Oh, so, oh. Yeah. oh, maybe we can talk about that next week with our Gwyneth Paltrow movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe we could. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I don't know. That was fun. That was fun. But whatever. So, um, what what does this mean to Star Trek Beyond? Watching Confidence, seeing the type of thing that Doug Young writes. What what do you how do you take that info and apply it to uh you know expectations for Star Trek Beyond? I'll go back to what you called out again, uh the intricacy. He is gonna be able to make sure that things are structured in such a way that uh they're going to be they they will feel free, I think, to make it dense but uh understandable. You know, like it'll be, it will work on, they'll be able to juggle multiple plot lines without it feeling like a big mess. Things will remain clear. And so like I I have, I have confidence now that this is going to be the type of movie where they're going to be able to throw a bunch of things, but keep all of those balls in the air um, so that, you know, you're able to keep up with it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think the exact same thing, you know, uh, in terms of, like, structural proficiency or whatever. I think that he's on par with Simon Pegg. Um, I just hope that he's they're able to bring a, a bit more to it than just that. But I do think that—and, I mean, this is a big problem with a lot of movies. You know, I, I do think that, from a technical standpoint, the script will be sound. So, So that's that. Uh, one more thing, I guess, because he seems to have a good relationship now with, with Bad Robot, and I think he was maybe writing a movie for them prior to Beyond, and that's sort of how he got involved with the Beyond uh, team and everything. But I guess they must be happy with the work that he's doing because he's now writing another movie for Bad Robot, a science fiction film called uh, The God Particle. So uh don't really know anything about it. But it will be out, uh, who knows when, 2017? I don't know. Awesome. No, that yeah. uh, that's great. I mean, when they're willing to uh, give somebody a script, I mean, that's sort of like, uh, you know, to, to bring up somebody who's in the news right now because of what he's doing uh, or what he has done, um, Kasdan. Yeah. He, uh, Lucas brought him on um, for, you know, because uh, Raiders and Empire were going on. And Kasdan was like, what, what if I'm no good? He's like, yeah, well, I think you're good. And yeah. it's like, so, you know, it, that's a big vote of confidence for a screenwriter to be given another project. It really is. Yeah, for sure. Well, it'll be exciting to see what happens. Yeah. 
All right, before we go, a um, bit of uh, sad news this week. Uh, George Clayton Johnson passed away. George Clayton Johnson is the writer of the very first Star Trek episode to ever air, The Man Trap. That's the only Star Trek episode that he wrote, but he did write a bunch of other stuff in a bunch of different media, mediums, media, I don't know. He did um, the novel, Logan's Run, that the movie was based on. He wrote the story for the original Ocean's Eleven, speaking of Ocean's Eleven. What uh, an interconnected world. Yeah, yeah. And he also wrote a bunch of episodes of The Twilight Zone, including, I would say, probably most notable would be Kick the Can, uh, which was then used by by Spielberg, right? Or was it, yeah, was it Spielberg who did the Kick the Can episode? I think so. In the movie? Yeah, I think you're right. So he's done tons and tons of stuff. And uh, apparently he was a really cool guy and obviously a really great writer. And, you know... You will be missed. Well, it's been fun talking about Doug Young this week, but that's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Usually Mike and I are like, mm, what's going on? Our okay. heads are just spinning like, what? I don't understand what's going on, you know? And like, you know, when I listen to that, I'm like, are we like, you know, bad? <laughs> the orb. He requested, you know, a Bajoran officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose. You know, he understands. You make this their own. We can't. I just... did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Bajoran officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> the ready room. Actually, I think at this point, Vulcan Love Slave was probably just a short story, right? It hadn't been turned into a full. <laughs> That's blown right. It's not a full novel. blown novel at that point. Yeah, it's yeah. just fanfic. It's just fanfic. Yeah, just fanfic. Point, so, right? <laughs> <laughs> just on the internet, people started writing after first contact there in Montana. To the journey. It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis allowed us not. Sorry. Commentary, Trek Stars. So we're closing in on the World Series is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Sox were able to win the World Series in, you know, 12 games. So we're no White Sox, but we're like the Cubs or something. <laughs> oh, no, wait. They didn't win the World Series. Never mind. Never mind. The 602 Club. To speak back to the lightsaber overall, I mean, it was practical reasons that they switched it to green, but I've always loved the fact that Luke had that green saber even when I was a kid like it's really cool it's an immediate visual signal you know even outside of the outfit that he's wearing that he's he's a different kind of person than even we saw in the previous film and I just I really like that literary tricks the pinnacle of episodes that we've ever done on that was probably when we had Tristan from to the journey on to talk about some Voyager comics and (laughs) We ended up, that show was named Two Box Remedial School for Badasses or something of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, these old comics can just be very, very fun. Meta Treks. I looked it up and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. 
And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows. You can get all the links up there on our website. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Windows Phone, SoundCloud, or or you can just download it directly from the website at trek.fm. So be sure to to check us all out over there. So if you want to help us out, you can uh, buy some of our stuff. If you go to trek.fm slash store, that'll take you to our our store, our network store page on uh, Redbubble where you can get t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and bumper Mm -hmm. stickers and everything. Cool stuff. Yeah, I got some cool stuff for Christmas, you know, a Trek FM shirt and everything like that. So, yeah, uh, there's lots of good stuff on there. So head on over. And check it out. You know, lots of cool designs by uh, Aaron, who does all of the artwork for the website. And uh, yep. yeah, yeah, definitely. He does, check it out. He does great work. He really he does. He does, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and another way you can help us uh, keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's P A T R E O N dot com slash trekfm. You'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And if you want to contact us, uh, you can contact us uh, several ways. You can uh, do it through a form at trek.fm. Uh, slash contact uh, for voicemail. You can go to Trek FM and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM. Uh, if you want to reach out to the network on Twitter, it's at Trek FM, facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can actually join us in the Babel conference, uh, type the Babel conference, B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. It's an exclusive uh, group for listeners of the network only. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. And you can find me on another podcast uh, called Words with Nerds uh, that I do with my buddy Craig, where we, uh, we argue about a lot of things. But it's all <laughs> geeky things, and it's all done with love. We argue with love. Well, that's good. That's good. And where can they find you, Mike? You can find me uh, on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing what we're now calling Commentary Trackstars. We were going to call it Commentary Trackstars Unlimited. We were going to call it whatever. But yeah, yeah, as you'll see starting this week, we're like, let's stop fitting things into boxes and just do whatever we want, and that'll make for better conversation. So this week, awesome. you can check out Commentary Trackstars episode 455, which is just what we're calling it. That's what it is. Awesome. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, you can find that on commentarytrackstars.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars. You can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. So another way that you can help us out is by uh, uh, patronizing our sponsor, uh, Audible, audible.com, uh, where you can get tons of books that you can listen to. 
Yes, uh, and actually, the, the, you can go, you can uh, download them, and uh, Audible is a great way to actually catch up on all of the books that you've always been meaning to read, but can't ever quite seem to find the uh, quiet time to read. Uh, I know that I use Audible. I know, Mike, you use Audible. It, it, it's a great tool. So, so, so what book do you have for us this week, John? Uh, the book we have this week in honor of George Clayton Johnson is Logan's Run. Uh, it's written by William F. Nolan with George Clayton Johnson, and it's narrated by Oliver Wyman. Uh, and the description is, it's the 23rd century and at age 21, your life is over. Logan Six has been trained to kill, born and bred from conception to be the best of the best. But his time is short, and before his life ends, he's got one final mission. Find and destroy Sanctuary, a fabled haven for those that chose to defy the system. But when Logan meets and falls in love with Jessica, he begins to question the very system he swore to protect, and soon they're both running for their lives. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook like this one of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary Trek Stars and the network. Yes. All right. So we got a taste of Doug Young. You know, we 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 gave him his his uh, his his due or whatever, and that covers all of the writing by all of the Star Trek Beyond writers that yes. have written the, the the current script. And next week, we're gonna go back to JJ. What we're gonna do is look at you know sort of the the producer aspect of JJ. You know, people are like, oh, J.J. Abrams is producing this movie. He's not directing, but he's producing. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to find out with the new series where we look at all of the movies that J.J. has produced for other people. You know, we're not going to look at the movies that he produced for that, that, that he directed himself. Because you know, we've yeah. already talked about all of those. We're going to look at the movies that he produced for other people. And we're going to start this series up with the very first movie that he produced back before he was a director himself. He produced a movie for his friend Matt Reeves. And that movie is The Pallbearer. Bearer. 